It's our year in review special tonight. We embark on a journey through the tumultuous, inspiring and thought-provoking moments that have defined the past year. But there's a twist. We're not just here to discuss the headlines and stories. We're here to meet the voices, the pens and the faces behind the news that shapes our world. Tonight are the unsung heroes of the Fourth Estate, the fearless individuals who've dedicated their lives to the pursuit of truth and storytelling. From the seasoned veterans to the fresh faces on the beat, these journalists have tirelessly worked to bring us the stories that connect us all. From breakthrough investigative reports that shook the foundations of power to the heartwarming stories of resilience that restored our faith in humanity. These journalists have been our eyes, ears, and conscience. Tonight isn't just about reflecting on the past, it's about looking forward. We meet the faces behind the headlines. Let's celebrate the power of journalism, the dedication of those who bring us the news, and the unyielding commitment to truth that unites us all. Welcome to our year in review, where the storytellers become the story. You're watching On The Record. I'm your host, Jerome Sawyer. Stay tuned as we get started on the other side of this break. The political arena this year has been nothing short of a roller coaster full of twists, turns, and seismic shifts that have kept us all on the edge of our seats. We've witnessed active and former members of parliament navigating courtrooms, a cabinet shuffle that introduced new faces and portfolios, and the heartbreaking loss of a broadcasting giant and political savant. Minister Obi Wilscombe leaving an indelible mark on our nation. But the political landscape didn't pause for a moment of mourning. It surged forward, sparked by the West Grand Bahama and Bimini by-election. This event set off a chain reaction, igniting debates, discussions and speculations about who would step into the shoes left empty by Minister Wilscombe. From this enthusiasm emerged a new member of Parliament, Kingsley Smith, adding a new chapter to the governing party's narrative. And let's not forget the heated race for PLP chairmanship, a battle where loyalties were scrutinized and alliances questioned. Through it all, Minister Fred Mitchell retained his chairman's seat, solidifying his position in a landscape marked by passionate political maneuvering. In this segment, we have a unique opportunity to delve behind the scenes and speak to the leaders of various news organizations. They are the gatekeepers, the individuals tasked with making the tough decisions about what stories make the headlines, what issues get the spotlight, 
and what is deemed newsworthy in our ever-evolving world. Janaya Noel, the news director of Eyewitness News, and Kendia Dames, executive editor of the Nassau Guardian. Ladies, welcome to On the Record. Welcome back to On the Record. You're no stranger Thank you uh, so much. to the show. And I, every year I say it, but this is my favorite show of the year. No disrespect <laughs> to any of my previous guests, but it's the show that I get to sit with my colleagues and we get to talk and, and really reminisce. So let's start out by talking about your team's most memorable news event for the year. And how did it impact your approach to coverage? Well, for me, Jerome, um, it was uh, the death of Obi Welshcombe. Uh, that really gave some of the younger reporters on my team a chance to see how this is covered. I don't think we've had a death of a sitting cabinet minister um, for, I think this was our third one. So they never really got a chance and an opportunity to see what that coverage looked like, what this means, the impact that someone had on the nation. So it was an opportunity to give them a chance to delve into all of the different areas of not only government, how government works, but the fallout of, out of his death. What came after that? We saw that, you know, there was a whole political uh, snowball that, that took place after Mr. Wilshkom's death that, you know, you had a chairmanship race, you had a PLP convention. So I think the nexus of that started with Obi Wilshkom's death, his impact being able to expand our reach being in Grand Bahama, uh, covering it in Nassau, and just really going through all of the aspects of the coverage. I think it was really, not only was a sad occasion, a memorable one, but a, a learning opportunity for me and the team. Kendia, you spoke with Wilson hours before he passed away. Personally, what was that like for you? Well, um, so he, he died at some point, we understand, during the morning, on a Monday morning on the... 25th of September, I woke up on Sunday morning and I received a crazy text from somebody that was related to a matter in social services. So I sent it to him and he responded, not so, lies, something like that. But it got me to thinking about um, some issues related to so social services. So later in the day, I sent him a text message and I said, please call me when you get a moment. And he called me around five o'clock or thereabouts, sounding jovial, his usual self. You know, he always asks about my daughter, how things are going. I was working from home. She was making noise in the background. We always have a chuckle. You know, he, he was always, for me, I'm not saying it on the occasion of his death or because of his death, but he was the most accessible minister for me, who would always call me, mm -hmm. Uh, or one of them. So he knew the importance so he, he knew. of responding. And, and of course, yeah. he didn't always agree. So when he called me about 5 o'clock, I was actually interviewing him on the government's uh, drafting of its gender policy. And that is what we were talking about, the, the whole um, um, effort at creating a, a gender policy. And, and then, you know, I thought about it. He, he asked me because... Sadly, that same day, Minister Keith Bell's wife passed, and, and he asked me, hey, did you hear that Keith Bell's wife passed? And I said, yes, and he said that that is just so, so sad. And then he said, he, he, he expressed sadness because Hawk Finlayson had recently mm -hmm. died as well. And then the last thing he said to me was, uh, you're a dolphin fan? And I think it's the Dolphins, that's, mm -hmm. that's, that, mm -hmm. is that his team? Yeah. And I said, no, 
No, he said, do you watch football? And I said, no, but I know you do. And then he said, I'm going to make you a, a fan. And that was the last um, conversation. Of course, we played his, we had him on the front page. Actually, he was the top story, but then we switched it. And we played him on the morning news at 8 a.m., the interview I did with him, that I still have the entire conversation on my phone uh, that I've listened to a million times since his passing. And it was right after the interview played on our 8 a.m. news on Guardian Radio that I got the first call, and I said, no way. Wow. No way. So, yes, this this year, we have lost a lot of greats. I mean, every that is, year we... That is we, a big story we, of the year, we, I think. We, I, I was going to ask you, you know, people like George Smith. Yeah. Yes. You know, these were some greats that we lost. Yeah, we've lost, we've lost so many um, Bahamian giants. Yeah. I, was, I, I had a personal relationship with with George. I expected even to see him that evening. We were meeting for drinks um, on the day of his death. Mm -hmm. And so imagine the shock when I got the call about four o'clock. And so, you know, it, it's just been a sad year. George Smith, Dr. Gail Saunders, these are, talk these about are, are, are Janelle, you, so how many, are you in so a newsroom yes. where you're dealing with an average age mm -hmm. of about 25 to 30 who will not, these individuals did not know a lot of the people mm -hmm. who have passed to the extent that we did and the yes. contributions. Yes. I find it frustrating sometimes having to say, okay, well, this person did this, this person did that. Go look into that. You know, I, I get the dragon mentality. The, the smoke starts <laughs> coming out of my nose because I'm like, how, how could you not know these people? Right. How could you not know these people and the impact they've had on our country? Um, um, what we do today, some of that rests solely because of what they were able to do. And, you know, sometimes it's also a history lesson or a learning lesson for me. But like I tell the younger journalists, do you research? Find out who these people are, where these people came from, what impact did they have on our country? Because, yes, I don't expect you to know everything. But as a journalist, there's some things that you go without saying. And for God's sake, don't tell me you don't know. Yeah, go look it up. <laughs> go look uh, it up. I always say, hey, this thing here, <laughs> everything you need Let is on. Let it be your best friend. Uh, on the political scene, um, the Progressive Liberal Party held its national convention, the first since coming to office, and really the first in-person convention we've seen in a long time. The race for chairman was really the big headline as far as I, I was concerned. But I want both of you to sort of give me a temperature check of what you got from the convention and really how has it positioned the PLP for now, you know, the, the I guess the second part of its, its time in office in this particular term. Well, the timing of the convention obviously was interesting. I, I'm pretty sure it was set prior to Minister Wilshire's death, yeah. but it came right a couple weeks ahead of a, a, a by-election. So the, there was just um, it, it, that added to the political drama. It was momentum. And of course, <laughs> FNM chair, uh, sorry, forgive me, PLP chairman Fred Mitchell uh, could not seemingly understand, even though he's a former journalist, why anybody cared or why anybody was watching this race so closely, right? right? Uh, the conventions are interesting, but conventions with elections, uh, particularly if, if, if they're uh, any leadership position type election, are even more interesting and fun and energetic to cover. Um, and so it was interesting to see the PLP at convention at a time when they were also at mourning or in mourning, and all of the dynamics at play with Robin Lines and um, uh, Shane Gibson initially expressing an interest in the chairmanship and then pulling out. Uh, I was there, I think we all were, yes. the final night yeah. when the results were coming. 
Um, and so I think that it, it, it showed the party strong and stable and well positioned to seize a, 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 an election win, which of course they did on November 22nd. On the other side of the coin, the FNM seems to be imploding. The FNM is an interesting dynamic uh, at this juncture. I think they tried to use the by-election to prove themselves and, and prove their worth and to show that we're still a viable force for the electorate and the results, you know, just simply didn't show that, at least for that constituency. So I think it was crushing for them and especially for, for the leader, even though, you know, they would not admit so much now because as a leader you want to seem strong and you want to, to be that force to lead the party. But I think that the party has a lot of... Um, uh, they have to do some reality checks of where they are and whether or not they are so much so positioned for a next general election. There is a lot of infighting, um, things that are playing out in the public, a lot of that dirty ought, laundry that ought not to be, <laughs> that, in, that, that to be in yeah. any political party. And so when you see all of these things, you know, it's optics. It's all about optics. It's all about what you're showing the people and whether or not... You know, I can trust you at this point with my vote. Do you have what it takes to lead the country? How much of a factor is Dr. Huberman is still within the FNM and even on the national political stage? Well, I think it, he's a non-starter when it comes to um, any expectation that he's going to lead the country again, my view. But he is problematic for Michael Pintart and um, Michael Pintart's faction within the free national movement. Pintard had, he was really in a tough spot as it related mm -hmm. to the by-election. Not running would have made him appear weak or yes. scared. And that's the yes. argument and I yes. had with people who were by-running. But, like, but running... You can't not run. You can't not, not running, run. That was the argument but, I had I mean, well. I do think that it is, it is um, worrying for the opposition party that they were not able to maintain the support that they had in 2021, but they, in fact, lost, lost they support, lost support. Mm -hmm. uh, two years into a term. And usually what we had been seeing in, in, in most recent terms is that two years in the administration of the day is, is weak. It's a turning point. It's, 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 yeah, yeah. The and so point. the fact that the, the, the PLP, with its candidate, Kingsley Smith, was able to pick up support, um, that emboldened the forces, the Minis faction of the party, to really become energized and to, to start, um, you know, they pushing the dagger even now. deeper <laughs> <laughs> into, into, into Michael Pintard. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a very difficult position to be in right now for, for his, 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 they, his faction. As they are fighting, seemingly uh, the PLP uh, um, and um, Prime Minister Davis uh, seem to be walking in step. I mean, I, as I say to people when they ask me, I said one of the things outright is the temperature of the country yes. has come down considerably yeah. Yeah. under brave Davis leadership. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that one thing that Prime Minister Davis and the PLP have going for them, and you, you too, I think, would be able to, to attest to this, is that the, 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 the Minnis administration, two years in, uh, Dr. Minnis and his administration were incredibly unpopular, and you could feel it. You could sense it everywhere you 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 went, right? And and just really let, under a year in, under Minnis, you had, we already had um, the drama with the Speaker of the House of mm -hmm. Assembly. Mm -hmm. We it was had the yes, we, we had 
within months the drama of Oban that was tremendously damaging for his administration. Mm -hmm. And then before that, the, the Christie administration, uh, they were elected uh, in May, in, in, in January or February, I think the end of January, there was the gaming referendum yes. under a year. And, and they, they were tremendously unpopular mm -hmm. with that vote and nothing improved for them beyond that. So I do find it um, that the current administration is in um, a position that they no doubt understand that they have not yet really ticked off the masses. Yeah. And I think that... And um, so they, 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 they're hoping to ride that wave sure. into the next election. No pun intended, ride the wave. <laughs> ride the wave. <laughs> I think that also speaks to what was happening in the country. Mm -hmm. Christie was in office. You had the Matthews and the devastating hurricane. So you had all of these things compounding an already difficult situation. Here comes the minister administration. You have a Dorian. You have a pandemic. How do you ease the senses of the electorate when you have so many other things going on, when you have to make these unpopular decisions that you know are, are not going to be favorable? Are, these are the hard decisions, as he put it, we have to make, one, to save lives, two, to get the economy in, in, a, mm -hmm. in a safe spot. And some people argued, well, you know, I don't Absolutely. think locking down the country was the best thing yeah. to do. I don't think, you know, putting us to get food in alphabetical order was the best thing to do. To be clear, they were already <laughs> unpopular yes. before yes. any yes. of that. Yes, and that added to the situation. Months in, uh, their, their problems yeah. yes. started, but we're, we're just about out of time. Rapping, what are you, you know, going, I'm going to take some time, and producer's yelling, but going in now to 2024, mm -hmm. what, do you, what are the things that you're going to be watching the most from a news perspective? Where do you see the boiling pots and the issues that really could come back to haunt government or even become problematic in country, very quickly. Certainly what happens with the FNM, whether or not they will go to convention. I think um, for government, it's this whole task about energy conservation. What do we do um, with BPL? Where are we at the crossroads with that? Because that is seemingly the biggest factor for persons right now. So what direction they plan to take with that? There's a lot of talk about climate change. Are we reaping the benefits from the trips and the travel and what we're doing and sending this message. And for me, for the FNM, it's whether or not they can get themselves together. And whether Pintard will survive yes. as yes. leader, eh? Absolutely. I mean, the same and, you know, the, the fate of the opposition party and how that plays out when the FNM chooses to have convention and what's going to happen. Um, you know, hopefully the current administration is not so challenged with any major disasters like a hurricane, mm -hmm. right? But I, I'll be watching to see um, whether or not they're serious about fulfilling some of the key pledges they made legislatively mm -hmm. that I know a lot of people don't pay attention to, like the, the citizenship one. Uh, we know that they've promised cannabis. Uh, they've promised um, to, to seriously look at pushing through the marital rape one, which for some reason remains tremendously controversial, freedom but really, but really looking, looking, looking to see whether um, a lot of the big ticket items from a legislative standpoint, whether or not they indeed are fulfilled this, this term. Ladies, I think you're spot on. I think there are a lot of things out there that still need attention and work. And if, if there is ever a time that the honeymoon is over, it is now. It is. You know? Yeah, and notwithstanding the fact that the electorate seemingly is not tremendously disenchanted, no. I don't think that the uh, governing progressive of a party will or ought to take 
anything for granted. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Ladies, thank you so thank much. You. Thank you thank so you. much for the work that you do. Thank you. Um, country is so much better for, for the work that we all do. Uh, and I know that, that it's tough out there every day. All right, so thank you very much. Thank you for coming. Thank you. And happy thank holidays you to you. Wishing you all the best in the new year. Happy holidays to you. All right, when we come back, the economics of it all, and we speak to seniors in the reporting realm. Stay with us. The economic landscape of our nation has this year been a whirlwind of highs and complexities, surpassing expectations, still delivering its fair share of unpredictability. We've witnessed monumental milestones from the grand opening of the $300 million cruise port brimming with hope to an aggressive tourism campaign aimed at propelling our number one industry to even greater heights. Yet amid all these triumphs, a stark reality persists. The economic strains felt by Bahamians grappling with the aftermath of a global pandemic. The rising cost of living, from soaring gas prices to inflated grocery bills and spiking utility expenses, have left many in our community seeking urgent answers. But the economic narrative wasn't the only avenue above. Socially, the country made waves as a Privy Council citizenship ruling has irrevocably altered the lives of countless Bahamians, offering resolution and clarity to those long trapped in limbo, seeking a path forward in our nation. The drama surrounding FTX and its CEO brought unwavering attention to our shores, continuously amplifying our presence on the world stage in unexpected ways. Today, we have the privilege of engaging in a discussion with some esteemed seniors in the field, individuals who have witnessed the metamorphosis of our country in various facets. Richard Rowe, news editor of the Tribune, and Berthony McDermott, senior reporter here at R News, are my guests for this segment. Gentlemen, we're going to dive right in. One of the most monumental events uh, in the country for this year from your perspective. In the opening monologue, I talked a bit about economics and some of the social issues and some other drama unfolding, but from your perspective, what are some of the things that really stood out this year for you? Yeah, well, I would say you can't look past the by-election that we had after Obi-Wolskum died. Mm -hmm. uh, I also think you can look past some of the things that's been affecting the political parties in terms of Kirk Cornish getting arrested and charged with a crime the Adrian Gibson trial also began. I, I also think there's quite a bit that is happening in the economy that, that's pretty compelling. It seems like we're in this interesting spot where we have record tourism numbers. The unemployment rate hit a 15-year low, but at the same time, everybody's acknowledging the cost of living crisis. So it's like, what's next? How are we going to solve that? So those are the kinds of things that stood out to me the most this year. Bertine, I want to talk about the cost of living crisis. I mean, there are so many examples daily of people struggling just to survive. Well, first, I want to support everything he said, right? Mm -hmm. But to the cost of living, I agree. In terms of the cost of electricity, we, show, we saw over the summer specifically where Bahamians were 
outraged and were in some cases struggling to handle um, having to pay their electricity bills, having to deal with paying your electricity bills on top of everything else that you have to deal with. Um, and then we had the gas um, price situation. We saw the gas retailers, they coming out and speaking out about how it's becoming more difficult for them to uh, survive and operate while at the same time, everyday motorists finding it difficult to fill their tanks with gas and go, there, um, go about their day-to-day -day lives. And then we see the government in that interesting position where they have to find a way to balance the both where um, motorists, drivers, residents, we don't have to suffer with an increase at the pumps and the fuel retailers, they too can get some kind of relief. So I think that was very interesting and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because these are still things that are very forefront for everyday Bahamians. When you hear the record numbers in tourism, um, when you see the new port opening, you see um, hotels coming on stream. I think the Hilton is getting ready to reopen and all of these projects. But yet, um, the story for the everyday behavior is still very different. Yeah. Is there, are we missing the connection? Yes, we are. And it's interesting because the government, the Ministry of Tourism in particular, just last week, was celebrating the record tourism numbers. Our question to the officials continued to be, are we seeing increases in wages? You know, are people finding that they now have those increases that are allowing them to pay for items? The Department of Statistics quite frequently releases data, you know, consumer price index, GDP. The thing that we have been asking them for that we haven't seen yet is any indication that as the unemployment decreases and as the tourism numbers increases, people are now able to get more money to afford things. We haven't seen that yet. The police in the past few months, I think this is for you, the police in the past few months have been touting a decrease in crime. Um, we've been, we've seen numerous press conferences uh, where police have indicated numbers showing or have revealed numbers showing a decrease in crime. Is that the sentiment of Joe Public? Uh, or are we still living in this huge fear of crime and it's still affecting us daily? Definitely not. I mean, in terms of if that's a sentiment, I don't think Bahamians feel that way. I think as Bahamians go day to day, and you get to hear some of the things that they say, um, some of the things that they post on social media, um, some on the way they go about their day-to-day -day lives, you can see where Bahamians do not feel the sense of safety that they feel they should feel, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. right? Um, we have, if you look at the police reports, almost every day there's some kind of robbery. Not in every instance someone dies, but there's some kind of robberies. And then we always speak about these things increasing during the Christmas time. So while they say it seems these things are down, I don't think that's translating Again, to the we're people. Not, we're not living right. uh, what, what we see in the headlines. I want to talk about also an issue that arose this year that was very significant, the Privy Council's citizenship ruling, um, and how that has affected the lives of countless Bahamians, this issue of citizenship, um, and the inequality in the granting of citizenship really has been a divisive issue for a lot of Bahamians for a long time. Yeah, so this was one of the most consequential rulings that we've had in recent times. There's, there's no question about it because this was a ruling that established that 
once your father is a Bahamian, you automatically have access to citizenship, regardless of the mother's nationality. Since then, our understanding is that hundreds of people have been able to apply for their passport and they've gotten it. This issue, however, is not finalized. Not resolved. It's, it's, it's no. not resolved. We, we're still waiting for the government to explain what's going to happen to those people who need their father to take a DNA test in order to establish paternity. One of the things that I thought was very interesting reporting on this issue this year is there's so much we don't know in terms of the statistics, how many people actually fall in these categories, how many people are actually entitled now to getting that passport to say, I am a Bahamian. And what this issue also highlighted is the fact that there are other inequalities that have not been addressed. And the Davis administration has pledged to deal with those other discriminatory elements. And they now face greater pressure to do that because of the Privy Council ruling. But, you know, the clock is ticking. When is it going to get done? That brings us to a great segue, which is also the issue of immigration this year. Um, Berthinino, you spent a lot of time covering a lot of, as he smiles, you spent a lot of time covering a lot of immigration issues. Have we moved the needle um, from where you sit in dealing with illegal immigration and in regularizing not just immigrants, but even uh, regularizing where they live and, and how they live? I think it is going to be an issue that we deal with for, um, that we will continue to have to deal with for a while on this level. And the reason being is because you can't make everybody happy. So there will be those who, the countless Bahamians who was agreeing with, you know, the shantytown, it's an issue um, we need to demolish and whatever the case may be. But then there are those who feel as though the way they are going about doing it isn't the best. Where are you going to put these people? You're destroying their homes. And, and then it's the whole issue of um, the actual migration of people to the Bahamas and every other so often sloops are being intercepted and then there are those that are not intercepted and that actually make it to the Bahamas and then we know that's a whole thing in itself, right? And Well, I have to ask you this. Did the debacle with the now former Minister of Immigration help the situation? I'm talking about Minister Keith Bell and what happened with the granting of a citizenship at a funeral. I think it kind of made the situation worse Why? in terms of the way, I guess, Bahamians viewed it. I think as Bahamians, we are kind of laid back and kind of relaxed. We're not as you know aggressive as other nations. But I think once that all unfolded and it then gave some the impression that um, things aren't always going as the way it should. Let's be honest that, the, that citizenship, and not in this particular case, but there is a prevailing thought that citizenship is given away and sold uh, in this country. And depending on who you are, how much money you have. Right. So that made, I think that made it a bit more prevalent, which made it a bit more aggravating for Bahamians to be like, oh, so, oh, this is happening. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is what's going on. Why is this going on? So it kind of made them, made us, or I guess as a people, more upset or more aggravated um, towards the situation. That's where we saw protests happening outside Parliament where people was like, oh, we know this was happening. We need to do this. We need to do... Yeah. So you saw the really the anti-immigration movement, I think, intensify a yes. bit with some of these things. Now, the story that keeps on giving and that won't go away, 
Um, SBF signed by Fried and the FTX drama continues to fold in the United States. The Bahamas still factors into a lot of the testimony. Um, a lot of things were said. How have those stories landed with the local populace? I don't think they struck the local populace as being very significant, actually. Uh, you, you know how these things go. We publish things, we get a sense of how many people are reading the, the articles. I don't think they moved the needle much. I think that some of the revelations that came out during the trial regarding the prime minister struck people as very curious. But when you delved below the surface, not enough surfaced, basically. There was not enough to come to any real conclusions about the prime minister's relationship with these people. And I think that's how the Bahamian people viewed that whole trial. Another international trial that I'm sure made a, quite a few people uncomfortable was the Peter Nygaard trial mm. and what came out there. And that seemed to open a lot of wounds um, and raise a lot of eyebrows. What was the reaction to that? Well, you know, this is a story that Bahamians are so familiar with. And I think the question that many people have is, why are so many trials happening outside of the Bahamas? By all indications, and this was something that Peter Nygaard's own son said, the Bahamas is where a lot of these trials should be happening, because this is where a lot of his alleged victims were affected. And I believe the, the police force, and I think a lot of people believe the police force still has questions to answer about how these matters have been investigated and handled over the years. But you also know how the Bahamian public goes. There comes a point when we see an issue, we see the way authorities are handling it, we conclude they're not going to do anything about it. And so we're upset, but then we move on. We move on. And that continues to be a problem for our gentlemen as we get to wrap up. Barthony, what was the most memorable thing that you covered this year? What uh, story or event or series of stories will stand out for you as the marquee of 2023? Okay, so it would have to be... Okay, two things come to mind. Like Rashad mentioned earlier, the death, the sudden death of Minister, Minister Wilshkrim that then led into that by-election. Um, because, you know, we haven't seen, in terms of a sitting minister, that, like, that hasn't really happened in recent times, so that was significant. And also, uh, the passing of Gerard Davel's wife, Kenise Davel, where she was in hospital, and then she did that live video, and then he started to, you know, push for justice for her. I think that was very, um, it's very touching. And it also spoke to another issue that, you know, healthcare. in terms of healthcare mm -hmm. and uh, premier health facility and what goes it, on in it there. It really put PMH in a very difficult spot. Yeah. And it shed light on a lot of what um, goes on in there. So I think that was very significant and that sat with a lot of Bahamians. I'm glad you brought that up. I for completely forgot about that. Not that the story happened, but that it was this year. Mm -hmm. Rashad, for you, uh, sort of that one moment this year that you will file away as your reference for 2023? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I feel like so often as journalists, we like the hard stories. We like those, those things that make us feel like this is so real, this is so significant. Mm -hmm. But, you know, this was the year that we celebrated our 50th anniversary of independence. And there were many events. I had an opportunity to go to a few. You know, we had that iconic song that, that everybody kept singing 
I feel as though, you know, that's something that's going to stand out for me from this year. Yeah, the 50th anniversary. Good point. You know, I think we forgot that that happened in, in some instances. <laughs> and there was, such, there was such a great focus. Gentlemen, thank you so much um, for stopping by and spending a little time with us um, today. I know that um, I know the challenges of this job. And just before we go very quickly, what are, what would, what are some of the things or the thing you think that people misconceive about your job or don't understand the most about what you do? Since Bertha, you seems eager, I'll start with you. <laughs> what, are you what is the biggest misconception that people have about what you do? I just feel like people feel like we have to be everywhere for everything at every moment, at every time. <laughs> and I feel like, I mean, yes, I mean, don't get me wrong, we should cover certain, but I mean, we have lives too. We have families. We take vacations. <laughs> so we go to church. So things happen and we can't be everywhere for yeah. everything at every time. We, we won't we cover every story. We have lives. Yeah. People always say to me, you are covering Santa? No, oh. I'm in the grocery store. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I am. Rashad, for you? I, I think people don't appreciate that the media industry in the Bahamas is quite small. And sometimes, you know, they will compare the journalism we do to countries with very large organizations and with lots of money. Exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. Reporters who can spend months literally investigating a single story. Mm -hmm. Most reporters who go to work every day in this country think that they have to do about two stories. And, and I think we do a pretty good job mm -hmm. considering the demand. Sure, sure. And the resources are so different. The audience is so much larger in the larger markets, but I think we do a great, a great job, and I want to commend you for the for the work that you do. Keep up the great work. Bethany's going to hold that against me now. I'll come down with valuation. They said it on the air. All right, when we come back, yeah, we'll take <laughs> we'll take a look at the reasons we had to celebrate, and we speak to the innovators who navigate the digital realm of news. This is on the record. We're back right after this. Amidst the ebbs and flows of daily life, this year has been a time of jubilant celebrations, marking milestones and revealing the rich tapestry of our cultural heritage. From the resounding triumph of the one family Junkanoo group's double victory resonating through the streets of Bay with promises of another title chase to the grandeur of King Charles's coronation, we've witnessed moments etched into the core of our nation's history. Our country welcomed a new era with open arms embracing the esteemed Cynthia Mother Pratt as our new Governor General. The high profile and high fashion opening a Parliament ceremony that followed was a spectacle that captured the nation's attention. However, amidst these grand events, one occasion stood above the rest. A celebration etched in the hearts of every Bahamian the 50th anniversary of our independence. The festivities were nothing sure of extraordinary. The governing party spared no expense as the independence secretariat orchestrated a year-long extravaganza, exuding glamour and beauty, igniting a sense of patriotism and pride that reverberates within us even now. Over the years, the landscape of news delivery and consumption has shifted dramatically Online platforms have become a necessity and the primary avenue through which many individuals receive information, 
reshaping how stories are told, shared, and experienced. Today, we engage with the next generation of leaders in media and digital departments of various media houses. These individuals are the architects of our evolving storytelling landscape, harnessing technology to craft narratives that resonate with a digital savvy audience. This segment, Devante Hanna is the news content manager over at ZNS, Ricky Barry, senior digital content manager here at Our News, and Jason Brennan, copy editor of Eyewitness News. All the powerhouses on the desk. This segment really is, is a little different because we are speaking to folks who deal in what I call new media. Um, and this has become... Uh, for me, where the real fight is every day in news. This is where people come daily, um, 24 hours a day, to keep up with what's happening. So I'm going to ask you all to jump right in um, with what's been the most engaging for you this year. Not the biggest, but most engaging, which is what I talk to my folks about uh, all the time. What are people engaging with the most? I guess for us, uh, people usually engage with the murders and the sad stories and the deaths. Um, and then when you get into politics and that crazy, wacky side, people really love that. I think a lot of times people go to the 7 o'clock news to get that hard news. But when they see digital, they want something that's a bit more lighter. Even though it's still hard-hitting, there's still the facts there. They want something that they could be entertained with, you know? And, and that's the reality of, of where news is, sh is shifting now. Yeah, I think Devonta hit it on the head. It's the emotional stories, right, yeah. on either extreme the positive and the negative. So yes, we, we've seen right at the beginning of the year with the Kenise Darville story and the, the follow-up coverage that was generated from that, um, truly something that people resonated with and I think a lot of persons had similar experiences in their personal lives. Um, but it was also um, refreshing to see that the small businesses that started this year or are doing well, those stories getting a lot of coverage, the good deeds that people did. Um, so really it's a mix. But it's the ones that when you walk away from it, you get to say, wow, that was impactful. You know, yeah. I want to share this with my family. I, I, I feel good or I feel terrible about <laughs> what it, whatever it was that you just saw. I think, Jerome, you know that this year we were moving towards, um, like Devante mentioned, those personal stories. And those got way more engagement than I think we had anticipated because a lot of things like crime and stuff, like they said, gets a lot of numbers. What we did is we focused on a lot of small businesses, but people's personal stories and how different things affected them that was going on um, in the Bahamian culture at the time. And what I found was that a lot of the stuff that we were getting engagement on weren't even things that we expected it to happen. It was more of something that I just feel like I could comment on. I just want to voice my, my own comment on this thing. It could be anything wild from, I know we had a story about a lady who snuck a gun into a police station. <laughs> and that, that ended up being one of our higher ranking um, posts that we put up just because people wanted to say, oh my gosh, I can't believe that you would do something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's as simple as even those um, posts that we put up. People want to interact. They want to be engaged the, with the, the news. The content yeah. has to be a conversation starter if you, right. want it to be, if you want it to be successful in this day and age. Like I said, people... Uh, when, they, when they're scrolling, they, they want to watch those reels that are very entertaining. They yeah. want to see a nice photo. Um, and, and if you don't, if you just post the same 
video from that assignment, the, the regurgitation of what has, that minister yeah. said. Everyone like, else is yes. posting. Yeah. It's like, oh, here we go again. I've got to see this again. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. So for me, though, uh, what one of the most interesting periods of the year that I found what Bahamians were most creative was during independence. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. People, and I, <laughs> we were all thinking of the same thing. Yeah. 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 Like, there were so many versions, uh, so many examples of why people were proud to be Bahamian. You know, I, I'll throw it out there for any of you to start. Like, what are some of the things that really stuck out with you that people went in on um, for social? Well, well, I'll take it before anybody else. Happy Independence Bombers, you know. From Definitely. Freeport to Inagua. <laughs> Listen, uh, the way that we're, we're in the age of viral marketing and uh, the feedback news cycle, I don't know if that song would have had as much success if this was 10 years ago, 20 yeah. years ago, but yeah. because of the way that people latched onto this, first it was kind of like, oh boy. And actually, you know, I got to give credit to, to ZNS. I think that was <laughs> yeah, the, so the first was interview, right? Yes. Yeah. yes. But the only way it really caught on was because that story was posted to social exactly. media. Mm -hmm. if, if it had only just been in the news, nobody would have seen it. Right. And from there, people started to screen record that, clip that, post it, send it out there. And before we knew it, it was Elkin 360, the hottest on, artist in the two On every two, stage, every concert. I was going to agree with what he was saying. And I think it goes back to news right now. Although we think that our generation is not watching news, they are making the news every single day. Exactly. And the digital platform is a news platform Instagram is, Twitter is, it's all a place where you find news. But I know this question is probably going to come up later. It is still a struggle to prove how important the digital space is and how lucrative it is and how important it is in this whole news cycle. But I digress. I'm going to go out on a ledge and ask this question. Does it get the respect? in the newsroom that it deserves, that the traditional news media gets? I, I think it has yet to get the respect um, that it, it deserves. I think there's a better word for it, but I'm going to go with deserves. Um, just because everything that is digested, most of what is digested now, is happening through your phone through your tablet if that's what you want. If you're watching it on TV, you're probably still using some smart TV where yep. you're digesting these things. But um, I think it still is a fight in the Bahamas specifically to prove that this is so important just because the production side of it still is very much what it has been over the last several decades. You come into a studio, you tell people what the news is, and that's it. Yep. But how it's actually getting to people is different. Devontae, you agree? Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, in terms of it not getting the respect that it deserves, when you look at it, um, most digital teams, the talent is shared between the nightly news and a digital team. And so we can't get people that really focuses on um, creating content. Uh, news content, um, and then also people just think we walking around just just doing TikToks all day, and that's not the reality. You know, I think digital now gives you a new way to be more creative than you've ever been in news in terms of delivering it. Um, no longer do you have those hard and fast deadlines of seven o'clock. Your deadline is now because news oh, is yeah. now. No, yes. and the competition is now. Right, <laughs> right, and then on. on, on, on Keeping on that, on that same trend, it, it also has to be something that can pull people. 
like I said, I, I do want to stick up in though for a moment, and I, I you know, I, I realize that you know, in your role, even with the broadcasting corporation, that was a leap forward because <laughs> it's traditionally been a television centric station. For sure. Um, really, Eyewitness changed the game. Yes. When they came in, we ran to catch up, but you guys, I, you know, and I, I'm happy to see now that there is that uh, competition across the board. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and it feels really good to. To be at the Broadcasting Corporation and to see it now move forward. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for a long time we've been saying, you know, ZNS, ZNS. This is a station of my Grammy and my parents. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not as, I'm that's, not, that's not disparaging. That's not disrespectful or disparaging. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, but and the challenge is whenever you have a legacy product, mm -hmm. you know, to move it forward, you've you got to change your perception, yeah. and that's hard. Yeah. And, and you, you know? know, beyond that, too, I think the word that we're looking for is investment because. It's not just a matter of it being important. It's important enough to deserve funding, to deserve mm -hmm. yes. the right equipment. Mm -hmm. Because when something happens at 2 in the morning, obviously we live in an era where everybody has phones. Mm -hmm. You rely on news organizations to not just get it done, but to get it done right. right? To have a high-quality image, high-quality video, the facts all there. And all of that requires equipment. Uh, so I, I would say that it is changing and that from especially from the media houses that are represented here, I see all of these efforts happening on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, but for, for those who still kind of doubt the impact and the work required to make a quality digital product, uh, that's a side of it that I think they need to look at too. Uh, and you know, unfortunately, I think that, that doubt doesn't happen at this level. Right. It's the doubt of, at the boardrooms and the senior managers yeah. level because all they know is television. Right. And getting to say, hey, I need four more people at digital. Yeah. I need all this yeah. going. <laughs> <laughs> New Facebook? Right. 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 conversation of how much money is digital making me? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think so that's, that's I think the biggest point. Now that raises another question um, of how do we now begin to monetize because I say it all the time, traditional television is dying with my generation. Yeah. Um, and if, you know, it, it's a struggle now because you've got to bring on all these people, all these resources, how do you make it viable? Yeah. I, I want to step in there and I want to say um, it is bringing in money. Mm -hmm. It is already bringing in sponsorships. The, um, the issue I think that's happening now is that is being saying, we're saying we're getting this sponsorship and we're getting this money thanks to news, the basic news product. And so we're going to put the money back into the basic news product because that's where the money is coming from. In reality, that money is actually coming from the people actually being able to see what you are producing. Yes. So you're putting these um, ads and stuff on this and saying, oh, look at what news is doing. But in reality, it's really that digital product that's going out and how that's going out that's actually attracting the people to it. So it's there. I think it just needs to be attributed to the right Department. I'm going to say. I'm just. I, I always wonder about this. Other things. Is the Bahamian audience different in terms of how they consume and what they consume from a global audience? Are there any nuances about us as the people? Ricky's laughing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm always we, curious as to really what gets us going. Well, we're certainly the jokiest people in the yeah. world. Yes. I don't no, think there's, no, any, there's no doubt about that. Um, but but no, I think that we are more similar than we are dissimilar um, and it would be useful for us to kind of look at other even Caribbean countries that are, are struggling with this to see what they have learned and I would love to see more cross collaboration to so that we can continue building the future of news together. Mm -hmm. I think a lot 
a lot of Bahamians they prefer video content more mm -hmm. so than anything. Yeah, I think so, so you'd have less people buying a newspaper, less people who uh, go on your website and read a print story. But if you just take that same story and translate it into a nice video concept with some nice transitions, mm -hmm. you know, ZNS, we love the transitions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, people would sit down and they'd watch two minutes of that as opposed to just reading a 700 word story. Yeah. And I, I would just say, uh, sorry, Ricky, but no, just no. when you look at the way that social media platforms have developed, I'm thinking particularly Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok, it's endless scrolling, right? Yeah. How long can you spend just watching, swiping up, swiping up, swiping up it for the next piece of, of content? Mm -hmm. yeah. So the reality is not saying how do we escape that, it is how do you add on to that? How do you make sure that your piece of content is the next one that people see and say, oh, oh wow, i got to share it with my family and friends? Mm -hmm. From your perspective, I guess back to the audience question, like what are the things that, that you are facing daily in dealing with a Bahamian audience? Other than we don't take nothing seriously. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think um, it's everybody wants to be included and everybody wants to have their say. And we have a very loyal crew, I would say. People who are interested in news, they are interested in news. Yeah. Once something is posted, you have your top posters and they're saying the same things over and over and they expect that that content is going to be coming to them regularly. They expect a certain level of content from each of our um, broadcasting stations, right? Um, so I would say sometimes it requires a little bit of, uh, what is the word, censorship? <laughs> because I think we, don't, we forget that other people are watching what we're putting up on there. So there's some times where we have to take things down because it's like, okay, I know what you mean. But I can't allow you to talk about this person under from there. Our, from our viewers. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Under no, there. No, I, I have seen um, some. And I guess that is, that's the danger, too, because, you know, in this, in this new media, there are, a lot of, there are not a lot of written regulations in terms of what can be done. The rules that apply, I say it all the time, the rules that apply to us on television yeah. no, no, do not apply in the, in the news mm -hmm. place. However, yes. um, that content can still get you in trouble. You know, as a news organization, if there's something defamatory or yes. you know, it goes out there, it may not be the same rules, but you can still get penalized at the end of the day. And how is that? What, you know, watching your viewer comments and, you know, how, how things are... Even sometimes I think all things posted that cause issues, yeah. you know, and, and just sort of watching and policing that on a daily basis. I think you just have to be mindful and you have to, you have to, be, you have to think proactively. Mm. If, I, if I post this now... Two days later, could this cause some pushback? Yes. Like I know I've gotten in trouble <laughs> before yeah. Um, because I, I, yeah, I like to I like to push the envelope, and so I've gotten a call. Hey, I don't think you should post something like that. And I was like, okay, but um, this is my job. <laughs> um, but you know, sometimes you just have to yield um, and just just be mindful of the brand, and then also be mindful of the country. Sure, sure, yeah, because you're right too. It's it's. I know this is news, but how much damage will this do to country? Right, and, and there's a daily tension, at least, that I find, because you have this instinct, because people want to know what's happening right now, but you know the story's incomplete. Mm -hmm. You know that there needs to be another voice or two right. or three to flesh it out. Mm -hmm. So you're wrestling with, do you post it now knowing that the information is going to evolve and change, or do you do your best, even when people tell you no thank you, no comment, mm -hmm. to you know, round it out? Uh, and that is extremely difficult. And sometimes you'll see the comments from people saying, well, why didn't you talk to so-and-so? You tried. Yeah. They said no. And, and, <laughs> and that's you know, their right. And unfortunately, it's the first story that people remember. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Don't matter how many you update and change, mm -hmm. it's that first story. And I say to the news team all the time, it's that first story that people remember the most, and it's the hardest to backtrack and change. Yes. All right? Folks, unfortunately, we are out of time. But I do want to thank you all for the work that you do. Ricky can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I am acutely interested in digital. And, you know, as a 50-something-year-old as a who has been in the business a, a long time, this still excites me. The platform excites me. There are so many unknowns um, for the journalists of, of my era when you're looking at digital because it's so seamless um, and so easy to a younger generation, but we struggle sometimes to keep up with it just because it comes in the non-traditional way. But I do want to thank you for the work that you do. Uh, and the competition is stiff. Oh, yeah. I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> in case you all didn't know, this is where the fight is in news every day. This is where the real fight is, all right? So thank you very much and keep up the great work. Thank you. Thank thank you. you. It's all, all right. love. When we come back, a toast to a wonderful year of news and the folks that deliver it. As we draw the curtains on the season's finale, it's impossible not to reflect on the whirlwind of events that shaped our news landscape this year. Those storytellers behind the headlines experience the news in a vastly different realm than the general public. Their lens sees beyond the surface, diving into the depths of stories, uncovering the truths and presenting the narratives that shape our understanding of the world. Tonight... We aim to pull back the curtain to introduce you, our cherished audience, to the faces behind the bylines and camera lenses. These are the individuals you trust to deliver the news, the guardians of truth and transparency in a world where information is both abundant and elusive. By revealing these dedicated journalists' voices, experiences and insights, we've strived to bridge the gap between the news creation and consumption you now know the faces behind the names the hearts behind the headlines and the unwavering commitment these individuals bring to their craft as we bid you adieu to the season we pledge to continue bringing you our dear audience precisely what you need to know we'll unravel the layers challenging the narratives and endeavor to provide the comprehensive, nuanced understanding you deserve. A heartfelt thank you to all of you, our esteemed guests, who graced us with their wisdom, experience, and invaluable perspectives. Your contributions have enriched our discussions and enlightened our understanding in the intricate world of journalism. We pay homage to those that have gone before us ones that paved the way for the incredible careers that we have today. As we close this chapter, we wish every one of you a joyous holiday season filled with love, laughter, and moments of connection. May the new year ahead be a beacon of hope, opportunity, and positivity. So from all of us here at On The Record, thank you for your unwavering support. Until we meet again, have a fantastic new year. Good night and goodbye for now.